So as I was saying, we have been in this series um, where Jesus was in a conversation. And I talked about that uh, over the last couple of weeks that there are these different moments that we find throughout the Gospels. In, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus is invited into this conversation. A, a person, an individual comes up to him and is asking a question. And I framed it the first week, and I like to frame it this way. The person framed it as, well, you know, what's important for me to do? What's the most important thing that I can do? What, what is, what is the, yeah, he puts it, he says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus looks at the person and he answers, and, and his answer is so great. It's kind of this, uh, this question and response time. And I love that Jesus doesn't go into story. He doesn't go into something that's convoluted for us, to under, hard to understand. Jesus goes into a very simple answer. So here's how the conversation goes. We've been in the book of Matthew looking at this one. Here's how it says. It says this. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So Jesus is simply asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing I do? Now, according to tradition, the Torah, or the teaching found in the Old Testament, better yet called the Hebrew Scriptures, we find about 613 what we would call commandments. Uh, rules, laws, commandments for the ancient Jewish people to follow. Now, we're going to come back next to it next week, but the question is, how do you follow all of those? How do you follow all 613? Maybe there's a linchpin that sort of holds it all together, right? Maybe there's one that is greater than the rest. And we can understand this. In your household, you probably have all sorts of rules and laws for your family, for your kids, for your marriage, things that are expectations of how this works. But maybe there's kind of a linchpin there that kind of holds it all together. If we, if we all do this, we can probably follow all of these understandings, right? If I learn to respect the people around me, I'm probably not going to leave the dishes just all over the sink, right? If I love and respect the people around me, I'm going to clean it all up because that's what I'm going to do. So here, the man says, is there a linchpin? I'm overwhelmed. There's 613 things I'm supposed to do. What is the greatest one? What's the linchpin that holds it all together? Is one greater than the rest? Now, in the last three weeks, we focused on Jesus' answer to this. And we find that, again, 37 to 38. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Now, in his response, Jesus gave an answer that applies to all of us. Still, it's unique to each of us because what Jesus does is he points out the answer is found in the fullness of your being, in the wholeness of who you are, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. We are to love God with not just one aspect or one part, but with everything that makes us who we are. Now, what's cool about this is that this is not a new idea. Jesus went back to the Torah. Jesus goes back to what the man would have understood. See, the man and Jesus grew up in this ancient Jewish culture that understood that there are these rules, these laws of the Torah. So when he says, tell me the greatest commandment, Jesus doesn't bring a new one to the front. He says, no, 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 let's go back to one you're familiar with. Here is the linchpin. Jesus' reply was a quote, a prayer found in the law in ancient Israel. It was prayed every day by people. So this would have been a familiar answer. So Jesus says to him, as he quotes, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind. The quote is found in the book of Deuteronomy. It says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, this is, I think this is cool. I just think this is so cool that as this guy asks Jesus this question, what is the greatest commandment? The guy is saying, listen, I, I know the Torah, I know what's here, what's the most important thing? Jesus says, let me show you the one. Let me take you back to the book of Deuteronomy, to a prayer that you would know, that I know, that we say every single day. He says, say it with me. And I, I can imagine as Jesus starts to say this, hero Israel, I just wonder, did the, did the guy start to pray with him? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So we said, okay, well, okay. So Jesus is quoting this prayer. It's, it's got to be important. It, it must matter to us. Why did Jesus quote it? And, and how do we apply this today? And we found to understand that we have to take a deeper look at the words found in this prayer. Because for a lot of us, the idea of heart the idea of soul, the idea of mind, uh, we, we have some previous understandings of those things. We, we have some pictures maybe that we come to, but we're not going to fully understand what Jesus was talking about until we understand what the context of those words is within that prayer. So we began our journey looking at the word heart, a translation of the Hebrew word lavav. And we understood that the word heart was, was emotional, spiritual. It was the mental center of the lives of the ancient people. And this is kind of a change for us. Because when we think of heart, we do think of emotions. When, when we think of heart, we tend to think of that idea of like, I wear my heart on my sleeve or I lead with my emotions. For some of you, that is exactly, this, this part speaks to you. To love God with my heart means how, how do I, with that, with that part of me that I lead with, that heart part of me, how do I love God with all of that? Yet there's also a twist to this. To love God with our heart means not just our emotions, but our spiritual. It means our mind as well. It means our choices. For them, they made choices with their heart. So the heart is where we feel. It's where we connect. It's where we make decisions. So what we discovered is what we allow to rule our hearts matters. The Apostle Paul, talking about this, said, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. So if we're to love God with our hearts, we allow Christ to rule our hearts. Whatever rules our hearts matters. If we allow fear, if we allow passion, if we allow sin to rule our emotions, our spirituality, and the choices we make, we know what the decisions are going to look like. But if we allow Jesus to rule our hearts... Loving God with our hearts, we're asking for his mercy and his grace to lead our lives. How much better would things in this world look if people allowed mercy and grace and goodness and love to rule their hearts? And that's the invitation here. Following the exploration of the word heart, we came to the word soul. We discovered the soul is tricky because when we think of soul, we usually think of some kind of disembodied reality that goes on beyond our lives, right? We think of maybe a ghost or something like that. In our culture and context, soul sort of means this thing that doesn't belong to me, but sort of is me, that goes on beyond me. But what we found is that actually in the Hebrew scripture, it's a completely different idea. We found this awesome word nephesh that gets translated as soul, but might be better translated breath of life. 
And we discovered that every breath I breathed is to be used to love God. To show glory to God. Every breath I breathe. Every part of me. And so we found this idea that it's not about this idea of going somewhere. But that through our lives, Jesus is present here and now. So we're not, we're not saying I want to love God with my soul and give my soul to him sometime far away. But I'm saying I'm going to love God with my soul. Every part of the essence of my being in the here and now. And then we talked last week about the word mind. We discovered the peculiar reality that while Jesus used the word mind, look back at this. In Deuteronomy, it says, love the Lord with all your strength. And so last week, we looked at this conundrum of what do you do when Jesus says mind, but the Hebrew says strength. And then we, we had to ask ourselves, did Jesus misquote? Did Matthew misquote Jesus? Is there something going on here about mind and strength? Why are they using two different words? We found that this discrepancy is because the Hebrew word maod can be translated in a ton, ton of different ways. And for centuries, it's been translated all kinds of different ways because maod is an adverb. It means very. And together, if you put maod, maod together, it means very muchness. So all this week, I had people texting me and saying, my week was maod, maod. And I was like, your week was very muchness. I like that. And so we asked last week, well, are you supposed to love God with your very muchness? How do you even do that? And I said, yes. The answer is yes, you should love God with your very muchness. So when you see this, it's not, you know, love God with my mind or love God with my strength. I'm supposed to love God with the very muchness. It's an adverb. What a cool, what a cool concept. It's not a noun, it's an adverb. I'm supposed to love God with everything that comes my way and everything that empowers all of those things. So yes, my strength, I'm supposed to love with God with my mind. I'm supposed to love God with the possibilities that come my way. I'm supposed to love God with all the resources that will come my way. I'm supposed to love God with all of the things that happen in my life that I don't even want to happen in my life. I give the very muchness of my life to God. And that's incredible. Because our lives are made up by the very muchness of life. Without any very muchness, we don't have much of life at all, do we? Our very muchness is all the things we do with our extra time. It's what we do with our extra resources. It's what we do with all that we have. And so that very muchness we love God with. What an awesome idea. So there's Jesus' response. How are we to love God is with the fullness of our identity. Not just one aspect, not just one part, but with everything that makes us who we are. Our hearts, souls, minds. Our lavav, our nefesh, our maod. The throne of our hearts. The breath in our lungs. The very muchness of our lives. Man, when I wrote that down this week, I, I, I looked at that and I was like, oh, I like that. I, I'm going to use that. I'm going to continue to use that because that's so powerful. I am going to give Jesus the throne of my heart, the breath in my lungs, the very muchness of my life. And here's why. Because when I rule my heart and I make decisions for myself, I'm not going to lead necessarily with grace and love and peace, the natural part of me. I'm going to lead with some selfishness. So if I sit on the throne of my life, my life isn't going to glorify God in the way that it could if I put him on that throne. The breath in my lungs, the very steps that I take. Wow, I mean, that is powerful to say every breath and step that I take in life is given 
to him. That's how I love him. And then this you know, final idea, the very muchness. Anything that comes my way, my first thought is going to be, how do I love God with this? How do I love God through this? And what does that look like? And all of this was contained in Jesus' answer to the question, which is the greatest commandment? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Can you see how this is a linchpin for everything else? But then I want you to notice something. And this is where I want to begin to make the transition to this next part of our series. Because we should immediately recognize the weirdness of the final verse. And I'm telling you, when Jesus answers something, if you don't find the weirdness of it, you probably haven't looked hard enough. Because there's always something weird, there's always something strange, there's always something that sort of throws us off, and we go, wait a minute, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. I need to dig a little deeper in there. And that's this. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus doesn't conclude with, this is the greatest commandment. He doesn't say, all right, I'll give you an answer. I'm going to tell you which one is the greatest. This one's the greatest. He says, no, this is the first and the greatest. How can something be the first and the greatest? That means there's a second. What's happening? And that's what he does. Jesus continues in his reply, and we find it even more perplexing. Listen to what he says. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. The second is like it. How? The second is like it. It's greatest. That doesn't make any sense. He says, hold on. Because these two together are the greatest commandment. You cannot pull this one out and separate it. And then you can't take this one and separate it. What we find is that Jesus tells us there is not one commandment that sums up everything, but two, intrinsically connected postures toward God and neighbor. That you cannot separate them. They are intrinsically connected. That together they make up the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment as told by Jesus is to love God with the very essence of of my identity. Again, to love God with the throne of my heart, removing myself and putting God first. I am to love God with the very breath in my lungs. My life is to be given to God. And I am to love God with the power of my life, the power to choose what I do with the resources that I've been blessed to steward. Now, if we look at it, this seems like a huge ask. And I'll be honest with you, if you begin to pray this prayer, I want you to pray this very carefully because this is a dangerous prayer. I don't think this is a prayer we simply put on our lips haphazardly. We put this on our lips in devotion to Jesus. Imagine that. Praying every day. Such a huge prayer. That he would rule my heart. That he would be the breath of my lungs. That my life is a gift to be given. And this seems like, a, that's a big ask, isn't it? That's a lot. So I'm already being asked to love God with the fullness of my identity. And I can probably do that because here's why. I've come to a place where I know that Jesus is worthy of worship. 
Jesus is worthy of giving my life to in that way. But do you see what Jesus did next? He then commands us to do the same for our neighbors. Think about that. It's hard enough to move myself off the throne of my life. It's hard enough for you to get up and say, sure, I, I'll get off the throne and I'll give Jesus the throne of my life. Jesus is Lord is a significant statement. That was the statement of the first century Christians. Jesus is Lord. Not the empire, not something else, not me. Jesus is Lord. But he is worthy of that. He's worthy of that place in my heart. Then we think about this. God gave me the breath to breathe, so I will, of course, give him all the days of my life with gratitude. I can come to a place that I can understand that I am a recipient of the breath of life of God. Of course, I will steward that back to him. And all the blessings that come my way, I'll steward for his glory because none of it is really mine. But here's the question. If the second commandment is like the first, then Jesus, you want me to sacrifice in the same way for my neighbor. You want me to place myself below somebody else. You want me to look at my life as a gift that can be given to others. You want me to use my resources to impact and help other people, the very muchness of my life given for others. And Jesus' answer is yes. And he didn't just answer with his voice. And this is where this is so powerful. Jesus answered this on the cross because he loved us with the depth of his being. His lavav, his nephesh, his maod, his heart and his soul and his mind. And then he looks for us to do the same as we reflect his love. I think this is incredible. This man comes to Jesus. He says, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus looks to him and he says, the greatest commandment is love God. Love God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength. And the man is ready to move on and Jesus looks at him and he says, well, but Jesus is, you know, is there more and, Jesus says, yeah, there, there's another one. That was the first and greatest commandment, but the second is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The guy had yet to see, but I wonder what he thought when he saw Jesus on the cross. Giving his life in the same way that he had just talked to that man about. In 1 John it says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters <laughs> again. Do you see what the author of this is doing? He says, do you want to know what love looks like? Jesus laid down his life for us. And we go, yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I have a, I have a, a, a picture, a frame that um, I got when I was in high school. 
and it was signed by all these people um, that we had served in this community with, and on the front side of it is a picture, and it says, Jesus asked, or I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? This much he answered, and he stretched out his arms, and he died. And it's powerful, and it's that exact verse. How do I know what love is? Because Jesus laid down his life for me. But then the author continues, because the author knows the rest of this. The author knows the uncomfortable part that is so hard for us at times. He says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. So do you want to know what love for neighbors looks like? Look to the cross. So as we close this morning, we're going to come to a time of communion. And communion is a time for us to examine our lives upon reflection of the cross. So we come to this table We remember what Jesus did for each and every one of us as an act of love for all of us. Let me say that again because I think that is a powerful reminder for us that Jesus did for each and every one of us what is an act of love for all of us. And so in that respect, we come to this table in worship, reflection, communion. We think about and we respond to Jesus laying down his life laying down his breath, laying down his power so that we may experience the complete picture of God's love. And that's, guys, I I want you to hear this because this is one of those things where I called Kurt and I said, Kurt, I said, I just, this hit me in a new way this week. When I started thinking about Jesus looking at this man and saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, Love him with all your soul. Love God with all of your mind, your mayod. I thought, okay, yeah, I, I, I feel like I get this. I've been teaching this over the last several weeks. And then as we began to transition and think about this next sermon, about, well, how do, how do you love your neighbor? What does that look like? And then when I started to look at these verses and realized it was reflected by Jesus, then it all began to hit in a new way. And I began to think about Jesus in all of his life, laying down his life giving his breath, his last breath, as a symbol of God's love to each and every one of us. And then his power, the fact that we know that Jesus could have said, you can't hold me with this cross. I can come down if I want. But he laid down even his power. And then he looks at us and he says, now I want you to do the same for each other, for your brothers, and for your sisters. And if he's worthy of worship, if he's worthy of giving my life, my breath, my soul, my strength to, then he is worthy of reflecting to this world, isn't he? He's worthy of being the person that I exemplify my life after. And I look and say, if Jesus asks me to love people in the same way that he loved, then yeah, I'm going to do the same. The Apostle Paul was writing about loving others in response to Jesus laying down his life, his breath, and his power. That we would experience the complete picture of God's love. And he wrote these incredible words. Some people think that this was a hymn or a song Uh, that Paul was quoting when he wrote this. So if you want to imagine it as that, or as Kurt sings today, maybe some of these words you can start to transcribe into the song this morning. But listen how Paul says this. This is so beautiful. 
He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships, one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now listen to these words and, and remember this as we continue to worship this morning. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, look at the cross. His life and his breath and his power laid down for you. Worship him as Lord because he is worthy of it. And in that worship, Maybe, maybe the, the biggest part of that worship, go and love others in the same way. So the man, I just wonder, we have no idea what happened. I wonder if he had the same opportunity to sit and reflect on this, to realize the measure of God's love and the call to go and be that love into this world. God, we are just so thankful for the reality of your goodness and your love for the picture that we see at the cross Jesus' love shown for us dramatically and powerfully as we recognize your love and your mercy your salvation present there and then, God, we are so thankful to be invited to reflect your love to our city and our community, to our neighbors, to the people around us. God, may we take that seriously. May we be convicted by that. May we recognize that to call you Lord is to love others the way that you loved us. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your life, your death, and the newness of the experience of resurrection. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.